Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Good morning. I love being at Crossview Church, and it's always a privilege to be able to preach here. Last Sunday, I was preaching uh, at uh, Krista for their senior community, and it's a little different crowd today as I look around. A lot more mix of ages uh, here than last week. Um, some of you like to follow along uh, with the scripture in your own Bible or on your phone or whatever. I would encourage you to turn to the Old Testament book of Numbers this morning. That's where we'll be looking. We will have the, the scripture up on the screen behind me. So uh, if you want to just wait for that to come up at the, at the time, uh, it'll be there. I'm going to talk to you about something today that I'm afraid of. I'm going to talk to you about snakes. And I am a wimp when it comes to snakes. A couple weeks ago, four of my grandchildren went to this reptile place where you get to hold things and so on. They sent pictures on my phone. I couldn't even look at them for very long. Here's my little Matthew who's five years old just holding this big snake with a big smile on his face. And I'm thinking, good for you, Matthew, but not me. I, I cannot do that kind of stuff. So um, there's actually a rather terrifying story about snakes in the Old Testament book of Numbers. And just to give you a little bit of context as to what's going on, what, why, at what point in the history of the Israelites this is taking place, uh, the Israelites had left Egypt where they'd been slaves and were on their way, a long journey to the promised land, the land that God had told them that was, would be theirs. They called it a land flowing of milk and honey, but there was a long journey before them to get there. And uh, so this story is something that happened while they were out in the, in the wilderness, out in the desert, uh, before they reached the promised land. So let's look together at Numbers chapter 21, starting at verse 4. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Now what in the world does this odd, strange story mean? And what does it have to do with us in 2023? Well, we have to wait about 12 to 1300 years between the time when this story happened to when Jesus came and walked on earth to really get an answer as to what was being foreshadowed uh, in this story uh, of the Israelites. Jesus comes along and explains to us that this incident was intended to help us understand his mission to rescue you and me. Jesus in John chapter 3 is having a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus. 
And many of us are familiar with at least one part of John chapter 3. John 3.16 is where we have that, the familiar words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. But did you know that the verses preceding that, verses 14 and 15 of that same chapter, Jesus actually refers to this story about the snakes in the wilderness. John 3, verses 14 and 15. They say this, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So Jesus was saying that this story of what happened so long ago will reveal truth to us that will lead to eternal life. So let's look at this story with that in mind. In this story, we see several things. First of all, we see the mercy of God. I think we would agree that the people were being rebellious at this time. Did you hear their ungrateful and impatient griping and complaining? In fact, the Bible says that they began to speak against God and Moses. Were these people deserving of God's mercy? I don't think so. I think they were pretty much getting what they deserved. Snake bit. It was their own grumbling that had released these snakes. Now, once they had been bitten, they were beyond human remedy or help. They had no way of healing or delivering themselves from this catastrophic thing. And so God in his mercy extended his love to them. What they could not do for themselves, God did for them. Did you know that you and I are in the exact same condition? We're helpless and we're hopeless. We may not look like it. We came in here this morning and we're all, you know, hopefully well-groomed and dressed nicely and look like our lives are so together and everything's great. But the Bible says that we've all been bitten by the snake of sin. Without exception, each of us has been infected. And God in his mercy has come to our rescue. Look at these words from the book of Ephesians that you see on the screen behind me. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He said, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Ah, oh, this passage says it so well. It tells us where we were before Jesus came and, and offered this mercy to us and what has become of us because of his mercy. That's what God has done for us. In fact, this scripture says that God is rich in mercy. God doesn't have to just, you know, meet out a little bit to each one of us. Well, you get a little bit of mercy. You get a little bit. No, he's rich in mercy. He has more than enough to go around. And he's made a way for the deadly venom of sin to be nullified and for you to be healed. Let's look at some other scriptures that point to God's mercy. The Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 7, verse 18. 
Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Or in another translation, delight in showing mercy. Titus 3 and verse 5. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. There's a story of uh, a little boy. He was eight years old, and um, he was the youngest of the children in his family. And this little boy had a problem. His problem was he would never be on time. He was always late. The family was going somewhere. He was always the last one to get out to the car. And uh, just day after day, this was a problem. And he was particularly uh, bringing a problem to the family in that he would never show up on time for dinner. Dinner would be ready, the family would be seated at the table, and he couldn't be found. So one day his parents sat down with him and said, this is a problem, and you need to, you need to make a change. In fact, if you're late at this point anymore, there's going to be some serious consequences. Do you understand? He said, yes, I understand. So the next night, it's dinner time. The family's seated at the table. He's not there. And they sat there and they waited about five or ten minutes after the, the appointed time for dinner. He walks in the house, walks up to the table and just kind of slinks in and sits down. And the boy looks, uh, looks around the table and he sees that everybody's got meat and potatoes and vegetables, everything on their plates. And he looks down at his own plate and it's a dry crust of bread. He's thinking consequences. His father says a blessing over the meal. Everybody's about to dig in. And the father, after the prayer, picks up the boy's plate with the bread on it, puts it in front of himself, takes his own plate, heaping with food, puts it in front of the boy, doesn't say anything. And the boy just starts eating. And all the father had that night was a crust of bread. That boy grew up, this is a true story, that boy grew up and he said, because of what my father did that night, I've never had a problem of understanding mercy. You see, what he deserved, the father took upon himself. And what he didn't deserve, a full plate of food, the father gave to him. That's what the Lord has done for you. Jesus took the penalty that you and I deserved, and in his mercy, he said, I'm going to give you all my righteousness, all my goodness. A heaping plate full of it is yours. That's the mercy of our God. And this story is a reminder to us of that. Second thing that we see in this story that I'd like to point out was that there was only one way to be cured. Only one way. It's interesting that it was a snake that it inflicted the fatal wound, and it was a bronze snake that brought the cure. We live in a world, I think you'd probably agree with me, that there's a lot of confusion in our world. Many things can appear to be the solution of our need for, for hope and life and, and meaning and forgiveness. 
we must be careful to turn to the right remedy, and there's only one. So many things present themselves as remedies today. They may have the appearance of being legitimate and truly able to set us free from the snake bites of sin, but they cannot. Psychology is not a remedy for sin. Now, I'm not anti-psychology. I think it's a, an important science and can help a lot of people. But only Jesus can save us from our sins. Education is not a cure for the wicked heart. I'm all for education. But only Christ can change a heart. Positive thinking is fine in itself, but it will not eradicate sin. Only Christ Jesus and the blood he poured out on the cross can do that for us. Friends, don't be deceived. Many things present themselves as givers of life and that which will make us happy and fulfilled. Don't fall for those counterfeits. They do not have the power to deliver your soul from sin because only Jesus can do that. Look at the scripture on the screen, Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Next, this story shows us that the remedy didn't seem to make sense. I imagine some of the Israelites might have said, now how can a bronze snake up on a pole cure snake bites? Reason says that that doesn't work. Logic would say, come on, that doesn't work. Science, follow the science, they would say. Well, science would suggest that that's foolishness. And all those years later, when Jesus talked to Nicodemus and he brought this story up, and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, what? That doesn't make any sense. How can I be born again? I've already been born. And today, many people wonder, how in the world could the death of a Jewish carpenter 2,000 years ago have anything to do with us, have any impact and significance to us? First well, Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 21, you see on the screen. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he's used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say, it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Very simply, it's God's remedy for the snake bite of sin that we've all experienced. And we dare not ignore it. God gave specific instructions as to how the people could be saved from the snake's deadly bite. Now, what would, have, what would have happened if Moses had said, you know, snakes aren't really um, a positive image right now for our people. They're not politically correct. I know God said make a statue of a snake, but I think I'll just make a nice statue of a, a puppy. Wouldn't a puppy be nice? You know, people could look at that and it would give them this warm feeling inside. 
Perhaps it would make more sense to us, but it's not what God said. What if Moses had said, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open snake bite clinics. And we're going to distribute and mass market this, this venom removal kit, kits, you know, and it's going to help people. It seems logical to us, right? Seems like the right thing to do. Sounds like a decent plan, but friends, it's not what God said. When it comes to the salvation of your eternal soul, I take you back to those words of Peter that I shared earlier. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That name is Jesus. Next, we want to look at, at the truth that the source of deliverance had to be lifted up. Now, God specified that the snake, that bronze snake, had to be put up on a pole. What was that all about? What did that mean? Well, it's pointing to, it's foreshadowing our Savior. Jesus said, you see uh, John chapter uh, 3 and verse 14, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. The word lift up that, that Jesus spoke of here uh, is a Greek word that's pronounced hupso. We would spell it in English H-U-P-S-O. And it means to physically lift up. So if I were to lift up this table, that's what hupso means. Jesus was lifted up on the cross, lifted up to pay for our sin, lifted up to die publicly, lifted up to give his life for you and for me. You see, if Jesus, Jesus had refused the cross, if he had evaded it somehow, remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, Lord, if there's any other way, Father, if there's some other way that, I, that people can be saved without my doing this, then I ask you for that. And then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus contemplated not doing it, but then he realized he needed to do that. If Jesus had not been lifted up on the cross, there would have been no means for our salvation. I read a story a while back about uh, something that happened back in the, in the Midwest. Um, it was when a tornado had come through I think it was in the state of Iowa, if I'm remembering right. And it hit this little town. And as the tornado was coming, there was tornado warning uh, sirens going off, and people knew it was coming. And even in the distance, they could see the, the funnel cloud coming towards them. And there was a young family that lived in this little town. And they just had a, a, a little baby, one, one child that had been born just a few months before. And they were concerned for their own safety, but obviously they were concerned about th their young child. And they saw that the tornado was getting closer and closer and closer. And so what they did was they put the baby down on the, on the floor in their living room, and they covered the baby with their own bodies to protect the child. And the next day when the, the rescue people were coming through trying to find survivors or, or victims of the tornado, they came across this house which had been totally leveled. And as they were going through the debris, they heard this little murmur, sounded like a baby. And they uncovered the parents who had both lost their lives. But this baby's life had been spared because mom and dad had covered them. That's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. He laid down his life so that we might be spared. 
the cross, the lifting up of Jesus is central to our Christian faith. Jesus said that the Son of Man must be lifted up. That's this word, hupso. But there's another connotation or meaning that we can take from the word hupso. It can also mean in a metaphorical sense to exalt or to glorify. And those of us who are followers of Jesus in our day and time, we get to do this. We get to lift up Jesus. We do this in our lifestyle. We do this in our witness and our testimony, and we do it in praise and worship. I'm so grateful for the, the emphasis and the importance of, of worship to this church family as we together lift up Jesus. That's also what this word means, to lift him up. I don't know how many of you know this, but do you know when this church was established? The Free Methodist Church here in Snohomish was started in 1888. Not in this location, it was down the hill away. Some of you remember that old, old building down there, 1888. By the way, Washington became a state in 1889. So this church was established before Washington was even a state. And you know why this church was established? To lift up the name of Jesus. And for these 135 years, I didn't do the math in my head right then. I figured it out earlier. <laughs> 135 years ago, people said, we want to lift up the name of Jesus here in Snohomish. And for all these years, that's been happening. And Jesus said, you see the words on the screen from John 12, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Friends, is he being lifted up in your life, in the way that you live, in your attitude, in your words, in your lifestyle? That's what we're called to, to lift up Jesus. Now, I have one more point that I'd like to bring from this story, and that's that each person must respond for themselves. You see, those who had been bitten by the snakes had to do something. There was a response that was required of them. It wasn't enough just to say, yeah, I know there's a snake up on a pole somewhere and that's going to save us. No, they had to respond in some way to the remedy. Please notice the first thing that they did that led to their salvation. As we read in Numbers 21, verse 7 said this, Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. That was the starting point of their deliverance. You see, that's called repentance. That's when we say, I have sinned, what I've been doing is wrong, and I'm confessing it, and I want to turn away from it. That's what repentance is. And it was their starting point, and it's your starting point too. You will never find your way to the remedy without repentance. There was a very important day in the history of the church. It's called the Day of Pentecost. And God did a remarkable thing on that day. Thousands of people became followers of Jesus on that day as Peter preached a message. And as Peter was preaching, people were just convicted in their hearts and they knew they had to respond in some way. And they came to Peter and said, what, what should we do? And the first word 
that Peter spoke to them. He said, repent. That's the first thing you must do, repent. To say, I am wrong, and I want to change. Repentance is the starting point. And then, at that point, then we can look to the remedy that our merciful God has provided. And friends, you have to repent for yourself. I can't repent for you. Pastor Kyle can't repent for you. You can't repent for your children. You can't repent for your parents. It's, a, it's, it's something that each of us must take responsibility for. The scripture on the screen is from Romans 14, 12, where it says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. We've all been bitten by the snake of sin. You have, I have, and we need a remedy because sin is a terrible disease. It is always fatal. Let's not live in denial. We need a savior. If you had literally been bitten by a poisonous snake and were going to die, I'm guessing you'd do just about anything you could to, to be cured or someone that you love was in that condition. And so, friends, it's my privilege today to point you to the cure. I point you to Jesus Christ. He is the remedy. He is the only cure for the venom of sin that has touched your life. And I want to ask you today, have you responded? Have you come to God and repented? Said, God, I acknowledge I have been wrong. I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. The Bible says all of us who do that, or any of us that do that, God won't turn away. God will respond with mercy. And then we say, and I receive the remedy that you've provided, Jesus Christ. I ask him into my life to be my savior, not just in general the savior of, of everyone, but for me personally. Have you responded that way? Jesus was lifted up on the cross to save you. Respond to him today. Receive him in your heart. And in just a moment, we're going to observe communion. The communion elements are in front of me here. What a reminder they are to us that Jesus, his broken body and his shed blood were the provision that God gave so that we could be free. Let's pray together.